Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The views and opinions expressed on the following program are those of the host and guests and do not necessarily represent those of any organization, including one generation away. America was free. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of enterprise, and freedom is special and rare. This is Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides, a production of LibertyNation.com, going after what the politicians really mean and making it all clear for your freedom and your liberty. Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. I'm no bird and no net ensnares me. I'm a free human being with an independent will. So wrote Charlotte Bronte in her book, Jane Eyre. She was talking about the ability to to fly away, if you will, to leave one place for another, both spiritually and physically. But now Jane's dreams of freedom may be just a short step away from being dashed for both Americans and Brits alike. But not to worry, the people won't care for their liberty if it's in the name of climate change, will they? Welcome back to Liberty Nation Radio here on the Radio America Network. I'm your host, Mark Angelides. On today's show, we hit all the high notes and low notes on 15-minute cities, a new tyranny coming your way, and big cases at the Supreme Court. I want to take a moment to say a special thank you to our listeners out in Great Falls, Montana on KQDI 1450 AM and 97.5 FM. We thank you for taking the time to tune in. Remember, this show is proudly sponsored by LibertyNation.com, where you can access podcasts, breaking news, analysis, and a range of biting and brilliant shows to whet your appetite for freedom and your fondness for the great American Constitution. Let's get started. City planners are in the throes of designing and pushing the idea of 15-minute cities where you can live, work, and shop all without leaving your designated zone. Now, is this the way of the future and an environmentally sound strategy, or is it an affront to liberty? Well, someone who has her finger on the pulse of the issue is Liberty Nation's editor-in-chief, Lisa K. Donner, who joins us now. Lisa, thanks for being here. Glad to be here, Mark. Now, I happen to know where you live, Lisa, and a 15-minute city is not going to work for you unless you want to go and catch a bear. Now, give us a brief (laughs) rundown. What are these 15-minute cities that are taking the news media by storm? Well, it's true. I I live in a semi-rural area, and there's really no place to ride your bike, and there is no public transportation. You have got to have a car. But, you know, when the government tells you they have a great program and it's going to be utopia, you know to look out. Um, Yeah, this is really a bad idea whose time, unfortunately, has come, according to these people. And it is spreading. And I think a lot of people are not aware of it, Mark. That's the problem. They don't know what a 15-minute city is. But in essence, let me just explain. It means that everything will be within a 15-minute radius of a person's home. So uh, you will work 15 minutes from your home. You will shop 15 minutes from your home. You will go to the doctor 15 minutes from your home. I mean, it, it sounds great. You know, who wants the long commute? Just sounds really peachy. It just comes off as something that who wouldn't want something like this? Well, the only problem is that they, they occurred back in the 20th century and they all died. 
You know, it reminds me, uh, use the word utopian there, uh, which a lot of people are using to describe this. You know, it's like everything you need. All, all within walking distance, which I guess is part of the point of it. But the word utopia obviously comes uh, came about in Thomas More's book, Utopia, I believe, which I think was one of the very first paperbacks. Uh, but he, he created the word from uh, essentially meaning nowhere. Uh, so it, it's something that can't possibly exist. That that's It's to do with the Latin roots of it. Um, so you wrote an article on the pages of LibertyNation.com where you pointed out that the idea of these, let's call them what, what they're trying to be sold as self-sustaining communities and how it's not necessarily a new idea. Well, this is all tied currently to uh, not driving your car, climate change, and they say it's going to be healthier for you too. you get to walk. Well, tell that to the people in Ottawa when it's 15 degrees below zero and it's snowing mm. like gangbusters and they have a choice to take their bicycle or they can walk because it's not one of their designated driving days, or they could stand out waiting for public transportation. I could tell you in our area, in the Washington DC area, public transportation isn't a, a big winner. Mm. Um, people take it if they absolutely have to, but it, it, again, it's not a, an end all and a be all look at the pandemic. But let me just go back to the 20th century, okay? There were company towns, there were, uh, you know, Cannon Mills was a textile uh, operation. And so all of Cabarrus County, North Carolina was filled with, it was just a big company town. And so everything was there. There were a lot of steel company towns in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Western Pennsylvania, where I grew up. My grandparents lived in a company town called Clareton, PA. If you saw today what Clareton, PA looked like, it's, well, if you've seen pictures of Braddock, the land mm. of John Fetterman, you've seen Clareton. And the bottom line is when the companies dried up, the towns dried up, and here you have a mess. Yeah, it's um, it's it's really quite something to think that, uh, it, just the, the, the overall idea, to think that you can put a hospital in within every 15-minute zone. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that's not the, the entire detail of it, but it's just impossible, right? I mean, how are you going to staff everything that's needed? Now, Lisa, this has arrived in the United States. Uh, so I have a, a little clip that I want to play for, and this concerns America's first such plan for a 15-minute city, uh, and that's in Cleveland. Take a listen to this and let me know what you think. Mayor Bibb introduced the idea of being the first 15-minute city in the United States. He did this in his State of the City address last night. The urban planning model is new, but city planners told our Sarah Shookman the time is now to tap into federal dollars to address some of Cleveland's deeper problems. Imagine a Cleveland where everything you need is less than 15 minutes away. It's this ideal planning framework where human needs and desires are accessible within a 15-minute walk, bicycle ride, or transit trip. And that's really what we're striving for in this new planning model. City planner Matt Moss says it doesn't have to be a dream. Instead of a concrete jungle where people work and separate places where people live, in a 15-minute city, everything is closer. And it's starting out with the city we have now and then asking residents how they might want their community to grow or change in ways that, again, make things more accessible or provide them with more opportunities to access the things they want to get to in the day-to-day. -day. Unbelievable. The way they make it sound so innocent and so wonderful. Mm. And on one hand, it is if you have the freedom of choice. For instance, in Maryland, there is a planned community called Kentlands. It's lovely. I mean, there's a movie theater, there's doctor's offices, you can stroll here, you can stroll there. But again, 
you have the freedom of choice to live in Kentlands or not live in Kentlands. If they're going to make every place or try to make most urban areas into 15-minute cities and force people not to drive, I mean, basically, it's they're saying it's a trade-off. We get a better environment, but we're going to control where you go, when you go, and how you go. Yeah, it, I mean, there's, there's clearly some liberty aspects here. Now, the... It's not the kind of thing that I think most uh, Americans would be on board with. I mean, America has the, the the thrill of liberty in its blood. It's a country born out of wanting to be free. So what is the liberty position on 15-minute cities? Well, the liberty position is very, very uh, cautious of such a movement. But the way they play it, you, you just heard that on, on the Cleveland uh, television station, you know, oh, it's just going to be wonderful. How wonderful. But they don't tell you all the restrictions that are going to go in place. And the people actually over in your neck of the woods across the pond in Oxford, mm. uh, the, 2,000 of them came out and hit the streets and, and were furious because basically what Oxford said was that residents will be allowed to to peak free hour access a hundred days a year to drive in their town. Can That's you imagine right. that? Oh, today's not my peak day, so that my baby is sick, so I can't really drive through the town because they're going to read your license plate and find you. I mean, that is an aspect that is is not often discussed with these fifteen minute cities. Is that how do they measure how many times that you've left? Well, quite simply, they have security cameras out of the Chinese social credit score system that records. Uh, and puts obviously it's not an individual person doing it, but it's a computer algorithm that records your license plate, puts it into a system, and tallies up how many times you've travelled. So they're taking not only your your driving habits, how often you drive, and then an automated bill will be sent out to you if you exceed your designated uh, allowances to leave your city. So I think you're right there, at least from a liberty standpoint. This does not work. Now, we are talking with Liberty Nation's Editor-in-Chief, Lisa K. Donner, on 15-Minute Cities Coming to America. But where are they coming from? And is it just communism in all but name? Well, we'll be back after this short break to answer those very questions. Don't go anywhere. For your freedom and your liberty, Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. Earlier in the show, we were talking with Lisa K. Donner on the introduction of 15-Minute Cities. Now, we're back with Lisa, delving deeper into the geographic and ideological roots of such endeavors. Now, Lisa, these 15-Minute Cities, they're happening uh, in locations in my home country now, as you alluded to earlier with the uh, Oxford County 15-Minute Cities. And there's also something called the ULEZ scheme, U-L-E-Z, uh, or Z if you're in America, standing for ultra-low emission zones. Now, these are what many have described as a gateway drug to 15-minute cities because they act in a similar way. Essentially, they're making it too expensive to take your car beyond the uh, allocated zone in which you live. Now, is this just a coincidence that these ideas uh, for 15-minute cities, ULEZ zones, that they're being adopted on both sides of the Atlantic at the same time? No, I don't think so. And they're marketing them as pedestrian and climate change friendly movements. But really what they are, are the the ability to control the population, tell them when they can go, what they can, how they can go and where they can go. 
and it it it's actually quite abhorrent to liberty. But the most amazing thing is how they uh, make out people who are against it, who are liberty minded people and advocates for liberty. They you know they say that they are extreme far mm. right. They're conspiracy theorists. They're fringe. You know, and so if you go actually on the Internet and you look up, just put in 15 minute cities, you'll see story after story after story of everyone who's against them being called a nutcase. You can well, just we, see we, the day now, Mark, where they're going to start with social media saying, you know, banned, you're in violation of community standards by talking about 15 minute cities. That, that's just purely for China, isn't it? Although you should mention this. We actually have a, a, a little audio clip for you and video clip for those of you watching on site. Uh, and this is of the London mayor, Sadiq Khan, who uh, many of you may uh, be familiar with for his generally anti-liberty stance. Now, uh, this clip of the mayor, he's talking about protesters to the ULEZ zones, the ultra-low emission zones, uh, during an open forum Q&A, which, of course, the protesters were not allowed to take part in the open forum. So uh, I want you to have a listen to this, Lisa, and give me your feedback. There are objections in 2006 when we banned smoking from public places, and there are objections now. What I find uh, unacceptable, though, is some of those who've got legitimate objections joining hands uh, with some of those outside who are part of a far-right group who are... <laughs> some of those... Some of those... Some of those outside... Some of those... Some of those... Let's be frank. Let's call, let's call a spade a spade. Some of those outside are part of the far-right. Some are... Some are COVID deniers, some are vaccine deniers, and some are Tories. Now, to those people, to those people who have got legitimate concerns, by the way, and in fact, some of you have got good reasons to oppose ULES, uh, but you're in coalition with COVID deniers. You're in coalition. You may not like it. You may not, li you may not like it. You may not like it. You may not like it. You're in coalition with the far right, and you're in coalition with vaccine deniers as well. You know, I love the audiences in uh, the UK, the way they kind of give it back to the speaker. And they're they're clearly not pleased. It's really a hallmark of uh, the Brits. But anyway, European cities are clearly at the vanguard of this movement. You know, Copenhagen, uh, Amsterdam, Oslo and what's going on in London. What are you calling them? Euro? ULES, I think. Uh, it's not a derogatory term against uh, female members of the gay community. It's just ULES. But... Uh... All right. So in part one of our show today, we talked about Cleveland, but we didn't talk about the 20 minute city that is underway in, of all places, the Motor City, Detroit, yeah. Michigan. Uh, there's a neighborhood concept with a different name, but it's the same darn thing in Portland, Oregon. And then in Ottawa, Canada, I, I think this is rich. To achieve the 15 minute city thing, they're having the residents significantly reduce 50% of their trips by car so that they'll have to be on foot, 
bicycle or public transportation or carpooling. I mean, I can't wait till it's 15 below and snowing outside and somebody's getting ready in Ottawa to get on their bicycle. That you that know, doesn't work. This uh, this this forced uh, health kick. Now, I'm a firm believer that everybody should be healthy, but they shouldn't be forced to into uh, exercise. It reminds me of the opening scene of uh, 1984, obviously based on the book, but the opening scene in the movie, uh, I believe, is uh, John Hurt, the... Uh, the, the main character in that he is uh he's being told by the tv screen to keep going with his uh his, his touching of his toes and that a man of your age should be able to touch your toes and they're forcing him into this uh this exercise and for, for me Lisa, th- this whole thing it it really strikes me as a a papers please society which I, I don't know if that phrase is common uh on, on your side of the atlantic but a papers please society it's what we in the yeah, uk against the nazis too yeah oh there, there, there you go there you go so yeah it, it's uh the idea that you have to produce your documents uh you have to be have permission to go to certain areas of a free city now to me lisa this seems like uh I'm going to say it It seems like communism. Uh, Am I right or am I going full Alex Jones here? You know, that's exactly what I was going to say, Mark. I mean, limiting travel has always been the hallmark of communism, fascism, telling people where they can go, when they can go and how they can go is not indicative of a free society. And I think there are many pitfalls in this 15 minute city or 20 minute or whatever they however they want to put a uh, silks purse on a sow's ear. I think it really does impact our liberty, and we should be very wary of these movements, you know, uh, being touted as wonderful city planning utopias. Yeah, there's there's um, an idea that really hasn't been discussed, but to me, it, it's, it's pretty much the first thing I thought of, that this whole thing is to destroy free markets. Uh, I, I would say capitalism, but you know that, that's a word that the enemies of capitalism use to describe uh, free markets. Because if you have a 15-minute city, you're supposed to shop and consume within your 15-minute zone or 20-minute city if you're out in, a, in Motor City. Uh, so when somebody opens a business, what they, they, they don't have access to the customers. And more importantly, the customers don't have access to that business. How does that you know, work? Mark, this, this has cascading effects that will ripple through our economy, our society, our culture, uh, who and how we envision ourselves as people that can kind of get in the car and go to the store or like we were saying, get in the car and take your kid to the hospital if he's sick or if you're a first time parent and he just has a cough. Yeah. That's my joke. Anyway, I'm just teasing you because you're a first time parent. But anyway. Um, I think there's a lot of pitfalls that we should be wary of. Anybody who is liberty-minded needs to keep their eyes open. And, uh, you know, we all know where this road of uh, good intentions leads. Nowhere good. Lisa K. Donner, thank you ever so much for being with us today. Thank you, Mark. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of enterprise, and freedom is special and rare. This is Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides, a production of LibertyNation.com, going after what the politicians really mean and making it all clear for your freedom and your liberty. 
Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. The National Rifle Association is once again staring down the barrel of the US Supreme Court, but not necessarily for the amendment you might presume. We're back with Liberty Nation's special Talking Liberty segment where we detail the biggest cases of the day and how they impact your liberty. Now, to guide us through the morass that is the American legal system, we're joined by legal affairs editor, host of the Uprising podcast, and legal mind extraordinaire, Mr. Scott D. Casenza Esquire. Welcome back to the show, Scott. Thank you, as always, Mark. A pleasure to uh, to be here. Of course, naturally it is, naturally. Um, the only person who gets on my Talking Liberty segment. Now, now tell me, Scott, the, the NRA the Supreme Court, and not, I repeat, not a Second Amendment case. Surely That's the right. world has gone uh, You said not necessarily in your introduction, and I thought, gee, it's not that it's not necessarily, it's definitely not the yeah. amendment that people are thinking about. This is not a gun case at all. This is a First Amendment case, and it has the potential to be a very important one. Uh, w- what this is about is, uh, you know, I-, I think that we've talked over the, the the term for for uh, a number of occasions about the Letitia uh, James assault Letitia on James the NRA. General, yeah. uh, this is the yeah. uh, former New York attorney, or excuse me, maybe that was wishful thinking on my part. Uh, uh, not former. I think she's still the current uh, attorney general of this great state of New York. And she tried to cancel the NRA by by having a judge declare them uh, declare the entire organization to be uh, basically canceled because the the NRA was chartered in New York, and it is a a, a nonprofit sort of charitable uh, organization. That state's courts have the uh, ability to govern it, and uh, that state's attorney general presumably has the ability to to direct some of that governance. And that was that that's what that case was about. It was part of a full court press to attack the NRA on all fronts leading from Governor Cuomo on down uh, throughout the entire uh, state. And and one of those fronts, Mark, was uh, undertaken by this uh, woman named uh, uh, Vulo, V-U-L-L-O, who was the director of the New York State Department of Financial Services. And what she did was basically said to the NRA's marketing partners, who were some insurance companies, that they had better not do business with the NRA if they knew it was good for them. So this is a First Amendment case. It's about whether or not the NRA's First Amendment rights are violated if the state government acts against them because of the expression of those rights. So what the NRA alleges is if they were just a, uh, you know, uh, interested in uh, what, boy, I'm struggling here. Uh, if, if they were an advocacy organization that, that argued for better dental hygiene in, in for Americans, for instance, that the New York state government would not have attacked their marketing partners, in this case, through the insurance industry, but because they were involved in speech that they didn't like, namely advocacy for uh, less gun regulation uh, and fewer gun regulations, that it was an attack on their free speech and and, and they should suffer the consequences for, for that attack, meaning New York State should have to pay up uh, to the NRA for this violation. Well, I think a couple of things to point out. The number one is it's not just a question of paying up, although I, I believe under uh, the leadership of Mr. Wayne LaPierre, finances could do with a, a little boost. But it's about uh, stopping the New York state government and indeed other state governments and I mean, potentially even federal governments from uh, infringing upon First Amendment rights. So that there's that there's an expansion out of this, right? If it goes well, in you're, favor you're, of the You NRA. are a thousand percent right. And that's why we're talking about it. It's not about the check that the New York State Department of Financial Services may have to 
the cut to the NRA. I, I, I think you mispronounced that, Scott. If we could just edit that, I think you mean that the New York taxpayer. Yes. Well, that's exactly <laughs> right. This is. It's always important to reference that. I think, mm. and thank you for it. These these things aren't you know. Even though Ms. Vulo is being uh, sued in her personal capacity as well under the lawsuit, I suspect that uh, that she won't be the one paying, but it will be the, the taxpayers. And, and and that is why we're talking about it, because this is really a huge area of the law, this kind of viewpoint-based discrimination against people that doesn't attack their free speech rights directly. In other words, it's not a you know, they didn't they didn't seize the publisher of the new of the NRA magazine and say you can't publish an opinion, you know, that is contrary to what we think about gun rights. It's this oblique attack uh, against their, you know, again, again, this is a financial issue. Right. Uh, yeah. But but as you say, if if the NRA wins this case, Mark, it is so very big. Uh, it is such a very big deal that uh, the courts are letting uh, companies and then presumably individuals hold these regulators and administrators accountable for this kind of uh, non-direct attack on on the First Amendment. And I think that you know the NRA is a real victim here. They've been a victim of Letitia James, and and really, of course, just like the taxpayers get it uh, for uh, for if if the state is found liable, the NRA members are the ones uh, that get it right. In other words, you know, I, I took up your 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 criticism of Wayne Lapierre, which who I think. You know, I've criticized openly on on this program before for his financial malfeasance, but but the attacks against the First Amendment rights of the people who make up the NRA and its mm -hmm. members, that's really what it's about. A and their rights are being attacked and have been attacked, you know, not just by New York bureaucrats, but but others as well. So it's it's wide reaching if it goes. Well, I, I think that, that this particular topic, Scott, this case here. Uh, I do want to get to your predictions on, on the, the path of this, not necessarily the outcome. But I think people are who are hearing about this, I mean, I certainly did. I had a, almost a mind comparison flashbulb go off in my head thinking about the recent Twitter files and how uh, the government wasn't directly stamping down on people speaking their their mind through the the twitter medium but they were there was pressure applied to the companies and of course to sponsors uh of the people who pay sponsorship um, promoted material fees to twitter uh in terms of why bother shutting down the speaker where you can just turn off their microphone right exactly so i mean i presume somebody somewhere is going to make the connection between the nra case and the notorious twitter files um maybe that person was just me and i'll be on all the uh the talking circuits for my amazing computer brain but let's talk about uh where you think this is going to go I, yeah absolutely so this case is currently it it went up through the second circuit court of appeals which is a, a new york uh that's the, the circuit that hears all uh, appeals from the new york area uh, from the state and the NRA basically uh, has lost uh, until now, and they're appealing to the United States Supreme Court, which is why we're talking about it now, Mark, because uh, in its most recent announcements uh, from orders from the bench, the Supreme Court has allowed the NRA to submit their uh, their petition under seal. Now, I don't know why they have asked. So you have to ask for permission. So basically what the NRA does is, is they- Is that your eye, is it? Yes, their petition for certiorari um, and an appendix filed under seal. They ask for permission and 
And, and in the most recent sitting of the Supreme Court, they were granted permission to file this under seal. I've asked the, uh, the, the attorneys for the case why they asked for permission to file under seal, uh, and, and I haven't yet got a substantive uh, response to that question. But perhaps it has to do with the financial uh, dealings that they, you know, they want to keep. They want to say, you know, this they injured our finances, but they don't want to say to what extent. As, as we've talked about, Wayne's under a lot of uh, scrutiny now with respect yeah. to uh, financial dealings. So perhaps that's it. Uh, but we do know that the Supreme Court granted that request. And uh, it seems like that that request may be granted with with justices paying attention to the case and may likely give it cert. So if the case is denied cert, as we say, uh, and the Supreme Court doesn't want to review the Second Circuit's decision, well, then it's a nothing burger. But if they take it, it's far it's far more consequential. And I suspect we will be seeing uh, many headlines about this case if, if that happens, because all of the regulators uh, will be <laughs> joining the court or trying to as uh, amicus or friends of the court to, to write about how they should definitely not uh, give the NRA damages in this case, because, uh, you know, all these regulators are scared that they're uh, craven acts uh, against uh, political enemies will be uh, will be held against them, I'm sure. And of course, cowardice is always the way to manage the laws of your land. And we'll continue talking with Scott DeCasenza, discovering why prayer at a prayer vigil is a surprise to some folks. After this break, don't go anywhere. Freedom and your liberty. Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. And we're back with our resident legal eagle, Scott DeCasenza, talking liberty on all things constitutional. Now, Scott, great to have you back. And you brought uh, my attention to a case uh, out of the Supreme Court that I found both odd and surprising. Care to give us the details? The case is uh, Ocala v. Rojas, and the Supreme Court declined to take the case. Uh, and the reason why it's sort of newsworthy is that both Justice Gorsuch and Justice Thomas wrote uh uh, from the bench to discuss the declination of cert, like we talked about. So the cert petition uh, was denied and 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 they wanted uh, to discuss it. And the case surrounds some people who went to a prayer vigil after I think it was a school shooting, some kind of mass shooting type event. and the 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 vigil was marketed or or announced by the city as a city sponsored event, but it was a prayer vigil. And the attendees went knowing that it was marketed and supposed to be a prayer vigil, and they are uh, avowed atheists. And they sued because they said that it was a violation of their First Amendment right to be free from uh, the establishment of a religion to have the chief of police, I think, and uh, maybe I can't remember it was the, the mayor the was there. The chaplains, I believe, who were well, yeah, the but the chief chaplains. of police was the yeah, exactly. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, at this event and 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 speaking and, and does that constitute an establishment violation? So they sued saying this is a violation of the establishment clause. You can't do this. And, uh, you know, we should get paid for it. Basically, that's the, you know. <laughs> so two things. Now, I have looked into this and uh, as mentioned off camera, Scott, uh, I don't believe that I have understood the intricacies of it. Sure. Well, um, so if you could just. Well, hear me uh, out on this and then say yes or no. Okay. Yeah, please. So what's happened is the plaintiffs brought this to, uh, came to the Supreme Court, but they're asking essentially for standing, right? They're asking for permission to sue and it got sent back. 
to the lower okay, courts. Okay, so you were, we're talking about the procedural. Sue. We're talking yeah. about the procedural issues now, not the substantive issues. Just no. To make my that my clear. second question is substantive. Well, one, let's talk but, uh, about the procedural. Uh, sure. Uh, uh, first, so the procedural uh, aspect is that they have sued the city, and the city has said we shouldn't have to defend this. This is not a lawsuit we should have to defend for for a, a couple of reasons. Sure. And the city has lost uh, that now. The city got all the way to the Supreme Court, not with the merits of the case, but just with whether or not they have to defend the lawsuit on the merits. And the Supreme Court has said they're not interested in rescuing the city from having to defend it on the merits. This could come back to the Supreme Court uh, at a yes. future date after that ruling on the merits is handled by the lower courts. But those hearings on the merits are expensive they're cumbersome and no plaintiff or rather no defendant wants to do it if they don't have to. And so that's why we've come this far up to the Supreme Court with a challenge on that fight about whether they have to fight on the merits. So now things go all the way back down uh, to the district court level where they will fight about whether or not this is a First Amendment violation. The city does have to, based on this ruling from the Supreme Court denying them, uh, the city will have to defend itself or, or or just cut a check and admit wrongdoing, which I don't sure. suspect they'll they'll be doing. I can't imagine their insurer would uh, would approve of such a such a measure. But it, it's a rash strategy, isn't it? Paying out, although we have seen that in many <coughs> blue states uh, of late. Uh, you never as a lawyer, I, I would never want to criticize a defendant just for paying because it, it often is actually the, the better choice all in and in, in an economic analysis of. You know, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so this brings me to the substantive issue. And this is where my my mind thought, Mark, you're not understanding it. You've gone crazy. This can't be correct. Hear me out. The plaintiffs went to something that was called a prayer vigil Indeed. and were offended. I quote this, I think, offended to find chaplains who I believe their job is to, I don't know, pray about things and provide spiritual counsel to find chaplains praying at a prayer vigil. Yes. And they were surprised. Well, they didn't argue that they were surprised. Actually, that's not a part of, as I understand it, that's not a part of their petitioner complaint. In fact, there was a lack of surprise, which is part of the defense right. that the city has offered. And I think justice Thomas uh, uh, perhaps spoke about in, uh, in his writing, Sure. So that, that does bring me to an important what well, what I think is an important question, Scott. They were offended then, yes? Oh yes. Okay. So now to have that offense, do you have to be present? Well, they were present, so we don't yet know the answer. By okay. the way, I I see where you're going with that. So they were and not surprised, but they put themselves in a position where they knew they would be offended. Yeah. Is that let's be clear though. Yeah. that their claim is not just simple offense, which is sure. not a violation of the Constitution. Their claim is <laughs> that it was an offense. I, I know that, some people with blue hair who would argue otherwise, yeah, well, Scott, but please continue. We're not on Twitter, though, uh, on this program. Uh, the, uh, the claim is that it was an Establishment Clause violation okay. and that their offense is the, is the injury or the damage. And actually, that's, that's one of the key pieces of, of what the – the um, the legal analysis will be, and in fact, both Justice Thomas and Justice Gorsuch, when they write about this, you might add, you might say, well, why bother writing about it? Mm. Well, 
to influence the lower courts, for instance, may be one of the reasons why they wrote about it and, and to encourage those lower courts to see the issue the way that the justices see it. And so if they say, for instance, and again, I think it was Thomas maybe who said that offense should not give rise to and does not give rise to standing for this type of injury. So it would be one thing if, you know, um, well, I don't even want to get into speculation about what other sure. kinds of uh, it, it injury we, we might have. But but in this instance, that's exactly what part of this fight's going to be about. And I don't think it's quite as preposterous as you say, meaning the, the way you've laid it out, certainly it is preposterous that, you know, but but if the Constitution does forbid this kind of establishment, you could see a case, for instance, Mark, where the they only do certain kinds of prayer vigils, right? Uh, referencing a non-ecumenical yeah. uh, uh issue with with a higher power but a christian focused one or a muslim focused one or a jewish focused one and that how that might be discriminatory uh to other faiths for instance or to people uh like the plaintiffs here that uh, that are not faithful that, i think that's quite an interesting uh distinction you make there so this uh this this prayer vigil that took place it was advertised but it was it appears to have been advertised without concern so why would the city think that doing a prayer vigil as they did that they wouldn't face uh, oh, an establishment court that's challenge? the easiest question to answer uh, of all there's they're in the wake of a horrific tragedy where members of their community children are murdered and uh and they don't think about those things they just think of how can we do something to bring the community together or the the quote-unquote and I think this is actually a big motivator for a lot of these people in leadership is the do something uh, issue, yeah. right? Like, like they, they haven't protected their community. All they can do is, you know, mop up basically at this point. And this is part of that is they can go. And, you know, just to, just to make one thing clear, uh, the petitioners are not arguing, and I don't think anybody else is arguing that city leaders or the police chief or other officials couldn't attend a prayer vigil, but the hosting of one, and announcing it on on the, the the city's media pages as as a host and promoter of it that's a different thing than attending it so if it was a citywide prayer vigil hosted by community leaders that were not on the government uh, payroll and the city leaders attended and spoke at that 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 would be a different conversation this is because it's a city sponsored and promulgated event okay and i do have just one final question because as, as you know, I'm, I'm not a lawyer. I don't understand it uh, to, to much degree at all. But it, it seems to me that these kind of things do happen. Uh, you know, prayers put forth by federal or government agencies, and it happens quite a lot. For example, we we see uh, the the prayers in Congress, and yet that's not an issue. Well, that occur. That that's about the speech rights of. The Congress persons themselves rather than speaking as an institution. Congress can pass laws that are held to be violative of the Establishment Clause by the Supreme Court. So that's how they can act in a way that is in contravention to the First Amendment and then get rebuked for it. Right. But they're elected yeah. officials. They're not, um, you know, they're not the, the chief of police. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the chief of police actually has power. Scott, yeah. thanks ever so Again, much. It's, will... But it's not his speech that's being attacked, sure. right? It's his speech in that venue yes. uh, at an event that the city sponsored. So you have to add those those parts of the uh, of the pie to really criticize what they're after. 
Well, I am absolutely fascinated to see if this makes it back to the Supreme Court. And we will keep an eye on it here on the Talking Liberty segment of Liberty Nation Radio. Thanks for being here, Scott. Cheers. And that's about it for this episode of Liberty Nation Radio here on the Radio America Network. Thanks to our guests, Lisa K. Donner and Scott D. Cosenza. And thanks to you at home for tuning in. I'll leave you with the words of George Washington himself. The Constitution is the guide which I will never abandon, he said. If only we could trust our current politicians to do the same. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.